I completely respect why people are not out. There's a, so many different reasons that and that's that's their perspective. But I would also challenge and say that for every pronoun you're managing, you know, in the workplace because you don't want people to know it's you know, same sex or whatever, you know, that's energy you're not using to perform better, to be a better leader. And, and so I challenge each leader to say, you know, what's the trade-off on, on keeping that authenticity kind of in, in, in this, the shadows? And why not bring it out to light? Um, because it's not just going to be good for those around you, but it's going to be better for you too. Welcome to the HR LMD podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello, Anna. Welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Steve Iacovelli, a.k.a the Gay Leadership Dude. Now, he's an award-winning author, speaker, and catalyst for inclusive leadership, both in and out of the workplace. Now, Dr. Steve Iacovelli is also an entrepreneur. He founded Top Dog Learning Group, LLC, in 2008, and he's a thought leader in leadership, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, as well as change management, all things we're going to get right into during the course of, uh, of this podcast. Now, Steve and Top Dog have worked with Fortune 500 greats ranging from the Walt Disney Company and Bayer to amazing not-for-profits like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And he does that to help clients to grow, to develop, to expand, and most importantly, to really help drive and bring forward their corporate learning in relation to diversity and inclusion objectives. And with over 25 years experience in this sector, Steve is a rare breed of professional that understands the power of using academic theory and then applying it to the corporate setting to achieve business results. He's also authored two books. One of those is an award-winning book called Pride Leadership, Strategies for the LGBTQ plus leader to be the king or queen of their jungle. And we'll definitely talk about that a little bit later on. And he's also hugely fond of dogs. That's something I'm really keen to find out more about as a dog lover myself. So more about that later in the show. But Steve, welcome to the HRLND podcast. How are you doing today? Good, Nick. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Very excited to have you on board. Excited to talk about dogs. Excited to talk about inclusive leadership <laughs> as well. So look, let's start at the beginning. Tell us yeah. all a little bit more, tell all audience members a little bit more about how you've got to this point in your career and how you've become known as the gay leadership dude. <laughs> Please find out more. Yeah, so it's funny because, you know, I, I think like so many people who are listening, you don't they plan your career to be, I'm going to be in training or whatever <laughs> your field is. I actually started my, my training career in software training. And, and so I was happened to be a user of this software um, and it, it was basically a precursor to CRM, customer relationship management. And to date myself, it was actually DOS-based. So for those listening who know yeah. what that is, you yeah. know how old I am. If you're like, what's that? It's pre-Windows, friends. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's old. Um, but I, I, I really was good at it. I, I could really help the learners understand not only how to push the buttons, but use the data for strategy. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I end up going um, and pursuing my master's degree in leadership development and uh, and I kind of made this the, the evil switch to soft skills and I never looked back ever since it's been a fantastic journey and I had the opportunity to work internal to places as you said like um like Disney I, I worked for the cruise line for for many years as a internal leadership consultant I was an IBMer for a while um but there's this gorgeous running thread that kind of lead me, led me to today and it's always just helping people, specifically leaders, just be more awesome than they already are, whether that be in their communication, in uh, dealing with others, building team, whatever that looks like. That's kind of always been my jam. Fantastic. I love the way that you talked about moving over to like the dark side almost. We talk about soft skills, right? <laughs> soft skills are more important, I think, in the new yeah. world of work than they've ever been before. Right? As a recruiter, it's, I would always say it's the one skill you can take with you in any career, right? You only, you only build on those skills. So let's let, we'll deep dive into some of those a little bit later on. But you obviously, I mentioned in the introduction, you launched Top Dog Learning Group in, uh, in 2008. You have gone on to um, have some pretty considerable success. I mean, I, I, I approached you to be on this podcast. I, I looked at your work and went, right, this would be a great guest for me. So on your website, you do talk about how you are professionals, you're thinkers, you're strategists. And you're here there, as you mentioned a moment ago, to make everyone a little bit more awesome than they already are. 
So what has been your biggest success to date? And, and, and yeah, it'd be great if you give us maybe a case study or a live example of someone you've worked with to, to make them be a little bit more awesome. I, I would say that my biggest success is that I launched in 2008, which is a horrible time to launch a business in the global Same economy. Same here, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, right? And then, and then here we are post-pandemic, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still standing. And, and so I would think that's kind of like my big success, just to survive 13 years as my full-time jam. But um, from a client-centric perspective, the first thing that pops into mind is, is many years ago, we had the opportunity to do a, uh, an inclusive leadership program for, it, this is a large North American restaurant conglomerate. So they own a whole bunch of um, casual dining chains throughout the US and Canada. And they first approached us uh, to say, hey, we'd like to do some like stand-up training with a little bit of sprinkled of online support. We're like, okay. And like, is that really the right approach? And, and so we, we were able to, we don't always just be order takers. We kind of like to ask our client partners, you know, why do you want that as the solution? And kind of let them share with us and then kind of direct them, either reinforce, yes, that's the right solution, or you know what, let's rethink this mix. And so we actually, in that perspective, were able to retool their their look uh thinking about the, the solution. So we kind of flipped it around. It became 85% virtual and then 15% you know, uh, face-to-face support through a third party, usually like a regional manager or something. And it was all about inclusive leadership and it was fantastic. And, and one of the coolest things about that project was that at the very first meeting, and this doesn't always happen, but the <laughs> very first meeting, I asked the, the client partner, okay, flash forward, it's a year-ish after we launch this thing, how do you know if, if it works? And really having that conversation about measurement um, within the first like 10 minutes. And I, I do that all the time. We do that all the time. A lot of our clients are just like, yeah, we got it covered, but they kind of don't. So this was a, a rare instance where the client was like so on board with the data because I'm like, you know, you're spending a lot of money on this program for us to create it, launch it. You know, we're, we're teaching 6,000 leaders how to be awesome don't you want to know your ROI? And they're like, yes, yes, we do. <laughs> so I think that was probably one of my favorite projects. And it's actually, um, and this is like maybe 10 years ago, it's still churning uh, to this day, which is kind of nice. Now, I can totally uh, understand the situation in 2008. We launched this business, JJ Recruitment, uh, two weeks before Layman's uh, went under. So yeah, similar challenging circumstances, <laughs> so total sympathies there. But hey, you know, we can applaud each other. We're still going and we're going strong, which is good. That Elton John, I'm still standing. Is still Absolutely, ready. there you go. <laughs> All the money. So you talked about your strengths. What about the weaknesses then? What are some of the failures that you've uh, you've learned from during that ten year or longer? You, you know, I I think my biggest failure is, and uh, this is kind of surprising. I'm I, there's only two employees within my business, and everyone else is a contractor, and okay. and that's by design um, because I can ebb and flow. I can find exactly right fit talent, but I'm the bottleneck. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Um, so, I, I, matter of fact, I just had a meeting yesterday with a potential chief operating officer because I know it's it's time um, to really start to grow the business beyond just me. Uh, but I have this army of insanely awesome 1099 consultants. A lot of people I picked up throughout the years, either you know they were cl- clients of mine and they decided I want to go out on my own. I'm like, come on on under the top dog doghouse, and or, or people I used to work with at Disney or some of the other places, and you just kind of pick up these people along the way that like I like to work with you. I like to work with you. So that's that's great. But because it's just truly me, it, it, it can be a lot of plates on sticks spinning. And I, and I think that's always been the challenge with Top Dog, e- even as we continue to grow. Um, I'm the bottleneck and I need, I need to not be the bottleneck. <laughs> yeah. well, let's, let's deep dive into that a little bit then, because your company name is Top Dog. Um, you you referred to, I didn't realize you had two employees, obviously been on your website, done my research, you've got your client partners listed there, which you called the pack, which I love. Yes. Which I love. I'm assuming that's, a, that, you know, that, that's connected, right? So, <laughs> It does, even your website feels inclusive in that way. But what, what was the inspiration? You obviously got a love for dogs, but behind the company name, behind the pack theory. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, it's kind of funny because um, Top Dog actually started with my friend and my friend and I, Ruth Bond. Um, actually, who's from the UK originally? Um, but uh, I was taking her job at Disney Cruise Line and, and we were on board one of the Disney ships. I was kind of shadowing her very early in my, my Disney career. And she said, you know, we need to start a business. I'm like, we have jobs. She's like, no, 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 we'll do like a side thing. And 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 you, because together we're the perfect chief learning officer because she was a little bit more seasoned in her career, more, more a higher level executive than I was kind of like a middle manager, if you will. So we kind of got the idea together. We went to our senior executive at Disney and we said, hey, here's what we want to do. She's like, fantastic. One, thanks for coming. Good integrity. Don't use Disney stuff. Don't use Disney time. Have at it. We're like, cool. So we had this side hustle and we were sitting down in, in uh, Ruth's 
um, backyard and we're trying to think of a name. And um, she also is a big lover of dogs and, and you know, her last name is Bond, which of course is so gorgeous and British. Um, but, you know, it's like Bond and Yachavellian Associates. No, nah, that's so boring. And so we're, we're thinking through and her beautiful big giant chocolate lab walks by. His name was Potter. And I'm like, what about something with dogs? And so we started rifting on dogs, like big dog, whatever. And we landed on top dog. And, and so top dog learning group. And we wanted the group to be inclusive because we knew be, it will grow beyond us at some point. And so that's kind of how top dog was formed. And then the, the best part is the logo you see here, if those who are, are watching, um, I, I actually designed the logo. I, I do a lot of graphics just as kind of fun. And that was actually inspired by the French telecom Larange because at flash forward to 2007, um, I was sitting, I, I was, Ruth had since moved to uh, Paris to run Disney University for several years. So we were still doing this part-time side hustle. And, um, I, you know, I found myself out of a job, full-time job, we'll just kind of leave it at that. And so I went over to kind of help her settle in um, to be the puppy au pair, you know, with still the same chocolate lab. And, um, you know, I, I speak French, I used to speak it better. And I'm just sitting in a cafe, like, what the heck am I going to do? And then I look up and there's the French telecoms logo, which if you don't know it, it's just a big orange square. And it says, uh, it's l'orange, but it says orange, basically, if you're translating in English. <laughs> I'm like, I just like that square. It's just so solid. So I started playing around with that, put the dog in front of it. And then that's kind of how our logo started. And then the last part of the story is I didn't even have a dog up to this point, which is just the the funny people are like, oh, you must have kids and canine yeah. kids. I'm like, no, I don't. I just like them. And then uh, when I got my first dog in 2009, so not too long afterwards, I, I quickly realized that the logo I created actually looks like Ella, my my first dog. And I'm like, whoa, that was pretty meant pathetic. to be. So, yeah, it's meant to be. Meant exactly. To be. And obviously you call your associates and your client partners the pack as yeah. well, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the cool part. You know, I think there's some people who are, are very serious about business and that's awesome. And, you know, if that's your jam, go for it. We like to be playful on purpose because, I mean, obviously there's cognitive theory about how when you're more playful, it's more memorable. And so, uh, you know, I love it when I go to learning conferences and, and people are like, they wouldn't necessarily remember me. They're like, you're the dog dude. I'm like, absolutely, that works. You know, <laughs> so the brand stickiness was there. You, you've uh, talked about that playfulness. I mean, you you've self-coined yourself as the the, the the gay leadership dude right so where did that come from and i guess behind that then what's the secret to good leadership you you're you're mm. calling yourself as being a strong leader i i would suggest but having that as, as your title anyway so tell me a little bit about the secret of good leadership and also you know how you came across the the opportunity shall we say the playful opportunity of just calling yourself or referring to yourself as the uh, the gay leadership dude well, it actually started in, um, and thank you for asking that question. It started in 2018 when I was uh, in the midst of writing my latest book, Pride Leadership. And so I, this was my first kind of quote unquote real book um, where I was working with a publisher and um, you know, we, were, we were having a, a great conversation. She's a brilliant marketer as well. And um, Jen from Publisher Purpose Press, you know, we're going through the process and she's like, you know, what's your brand? I'm like, top dog. You, you know this. It's my business. She's like, no, no, no. What's your personal brand? Because, you know, the book is you, not your business, even if it's paying it. And I said, you know, that's a really interesting point. So I started kind of playing around with it. And, and I came up with the gay leadership dude, because um, as somebody who who is a, uh, could be considered a hidden minority, um, you know, I'm a white cisgender dude by appearance, at least a little bit deeper. Um, but using the gay leadership dude uh, title, um, you know, you know, three things about me immediately that uh, I'm gay, that I uh, self-identify as a dude, and I like leadership. And so it's right out of the gate, you know a lot about me, and that's by design. And so that's kind of the brand, that, that the cheeky fun that I've, I've liked, because it, it just throws it out there. It's no secret. You know, I don't, I don't have to do the, the heavy work of coming out except tell you my brand. Yeah. Um, but it also does make it kind of fun and playful. You know, there's a little avatar that's pseudo me. He's not as scruffy as I am, but yeah. it, it, wasn't as as as, um, as bearded, if you will, but it's been really cool because you know, like that's kind of how I introduce myself. But I'm a I'm the owner as well of Top Dog Learning Group, so they they kind of play off each other. All about leadership, inclusivity, uh, trying to make people a bit more consciously inclusive as the world goes on. It's very clever. I love it. It's, it's very clever. It is playful. So let, let's let's hone in on that leadership piece then. What is the secret to great leadership, as far as you're concerned, or what have you learned about leadership that perhaps you can share with our, with our audience? Well, and that's that's kind of how Pride Leadership started. I was um, in at a conference and I was uh, kind of sorting my business cards 
And, um, you know, this woman next to me, which of course is now my publisher, she's like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, consulting, blah, blah, blah. How about you? She's like, I'm a publisher. I'm like, you know, there's a book in my head that needs to come out. So let's get it out. And that's kind of what led to pride leadership. Uh, as you said, strategies for the LGBTQ plus leaders to be the king or queen of their jungle. Allies, very much welcome as well. It's very cheeky, fun dad humor with solid leadership theory. But, um, you know, as, as I'm thinking through what does it take to be a really successful leader now and reflecting on my, you know, 25 plus years, all the folks we've interacted with. And, and as you said, you know, we typically work with larger groups, larger folks, Fortune 500s, large not-for-profits, uh, both, uh, you know, U.S. as well as globally uh, situated. And you, know, you see patterns of behavior. And so I, I kind of got into my office, which I'm sitting in now, and I, I bribed a friend of mine who also does kind of leadership and OD work. And um, we just started brainstorming on post-it notes, like, you know, what are the competencies? I think we end up with like 70 some, and they're just all over my office wall. And then we started clustering them together, ones that are kind of like-minded. And then I, I really started thinking it through like, okay, so if I had to boil it down to what are my top six, you know, I came up came with what I see as the top six, which is uh, authenticity, courage, empathy, communication, relationships, and culture. And, you know, obviously they're, they're gorgeously all intertwined. They're not like in their nice little silos, but I try to treat them, you know, each chapter that way. And um, these are really the ones that truly make the difference. You know, we'll, we'll talk about empathy. Um, or let's talk about uh, authenticity for, for a second, the first one. Um, you know, you look at the Brene Browns and some other fantastic leadership gurus out there who are saying, yeah, if you're authentic, you, you are such a bad leader. Why? People trust you. And that's ultimately what you want people to do is, is foster trust in relationships. So, you know, if I'm not being authentic in the workplace, people know, um, you know, and then what I did was, you know, as I was going through right about to write pride, well, it wasn't even pride leadership then, it was just something leadership is going to be a generic one. And then I do a lot of, um, you know, community outreach, a lot of uh, social justice volunteering with my community and beyond. And I, so I started watching my fellow queer leaders within my, my sphere. And, and then do you remember, um, uh, Sex in the City, Nick. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. So Carrie Bradshaw I'm, would sit down at her old lat Mac, and she'd be like, "I couldn't help but wonder." And she's typing away. Yeah. That kind of went through my head. Like, I couldn't help but wonder: Is there something about the queer leadership experience that allows you to exercise these six just a little differently? So back to authenticity. Yeah. If I'm an out gay man at work, which in the U.S. that's only fifty percent of of uh, LGBTQ plus people are actually out at work, which is way too small. Um, but if I'm out at work, that's being authentic. That's throwing out there. Now, how do you exercise and channel that to just be an even more awesome leader? And that's kind of what Pride Leadership talks about. Right. Fantastic. Well, so it's a great journey through. It's, uh, it's fascinating. And interestingly, we've got an audience now, pretty much all hopefully HR or L&D leaders, right? So those six points you mentioned are absolutely going to resonate with those. When you talk about empathy, we need that as an HR pro. If you're talking about authenticity, relationships, communication, all of those things kind of sum up. I know it sums up many professions, but it really sums up the HR profession, particularly if you're going to be a good leader. You've got to demonstrate some of those, those qualities. And you mentioned culture in there as well, which obviously is something that the HR departments are very much responsible for. Mm -hmm. Something that's, um, you know, it's not just UK, it's, it's, it's global at the minute, which is a real positive thing, is businesses now are much more conscious about developing a, a more inclusive workplace culture. What are the, some of the, um, I don't know, piece of advice or, 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 or I guess, experience that you could share with the HR leaders that are listening to this to help them to achieve a more inclusive workplace or, or help them achieve a, a more inclusive culture overall. Yeah, you know, I, I love that you asked that. And, and to the audience, we didn't plan that because it's exactly what's in my book. Yeah. Um, uh, chapters, chapter three actually talks, it's called about, you know, how to be a consciously inclusive leader. And so that kind of sprung up from my work, actually my work at Disney when I used to start uh, start diving into the concept of unconscious bias. And I remember doing a, a early on a workshop and, you know, I, I'm talking about, you know, doing the intro, unconscious bias, blah, blah, blah. And there's this, this gentleman in the back of the room and he was clearly voluntold to be there. Like he was, you, you could just, and for those listening, you've probably been in front of the room and you know that feeling if you were just hands folded, their nonverbals are so, <laughs> so during a break, I walk up to this, this particular participant um, or Taurus, as I used to say, and, uh, and, I, and I say, um, you know, Fred, is, is there something on your mind? He's like, you're talking about unconscious bias. I'm like, yes. Well, if it's unconscious, I can't do anything about it. I'm like, 
like, okay, that's a good learning for me. So ever since then, I stopped using unconscious bias and turned it into the active for being consciously inclusive because you can do something about it. And, and so that's that's kind of where I share with a lot of leaders is that you know we all have the ability to be more consciously inclusive, to teach those around us to be more consciously inclusive. And what are some of those things to do? And it's really just being a good ally to any of us others out there. And so it's things like, um, as, as an uh, HR professional, you know, what is that culture of feedback, for example, um, especially when you have those not so cool statements that are said and, and people have that opportunity to refute them um, or they don't. And, and so that's if you don't, you know, for example, I was in um, in a client meeting a couple of years ago when we could travel places and uh, it was in Atlanta and we were doing like a closing session for this, this change management project myself and, and Lori, one of my top doggers was there. There's like 30 plus other client people was like a, yay, we're here. And then at the head of the table was um, the senior executive in, in mail. And that's important to the story. So just as we're about to, to you know, start the, the, the closing meeting, you can hear the senior executive go, well, you know, all women drive. And everyone looked, but didn't say a word. And so at that exact moment, we were all engaging in silent collusion. We were silently agreeing or supporting that stupid comment that this male executive said. Sure. So one of the things that, that I, I like to teach both in, in my workshops and my online training and, and just and anyone who will listen is don't do that. Um, not only does that create a negative uh, workplace culture, but it also undermines you as a leader, you know, because if you're not refuting it, especially if you're an HR person and you don't had that courage to say, you know what, what did you mean by that, Bob? Say that Bob's the executive. Then, you know, people aren't just looking at Bob and saying, oh, what do you mean by that? But they're also looking at you and saying, well, why didn't you say something? Yeah. Why didn't you defend me? It becomes well, acceptable if you don't refute, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so I think that's one of the biggest things I've been trying to work with any leader is do have the courage to refute those stupid statements that are said so that it creates a, a, a workplace of inclusiveness for all of the others that are out there. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a brilliant point. I think something just to revert back to something you mentioned right at the start of this interview, you talked about your first, I think it was your first question when you met that client in your case study, you said, you were like, how are we going to measure these results? Yes, yes. When we talk about workplace culture, certainly in recruitment, um, I'm not going to call anyone out, but we, we see a lot of um, initiatives come out, you know, we're going to suddenly change our values and behaviours, right? That's going to be a good public thing to do. It's a PR, sometimes a PR exercise, but also sometimes there's real heartfelt objective behind that. And that's great. Mm -hmm. I do feel though sometimes there's a little bit of a panda to just appease the masses by just doing certain things in your marketing, add a rainbow to your logo, whatever it might be to be seen to be doing the right thing. How can HR professionals listening to this make sure that the inclusive culture work that they're doing and the steps they're taking to improve workplace culture actually stay for the long term rather than just the short term? How do we make sure that we measure that to ensure that we are continually improving and reassessing our workplace cultures and, and, and our ability to be inclusive? Yeah, it's a brilliant question. I, I think the first step would be, okay, we want to go down this journey. How are we holding ourselves accountable to make this stick? And, yeah. and, and you know, what does that look like? And, and that's, that's senior leadership. And this is why we focus on change management, because a lot of all the stuff we do, we're not a training company. We're really a change company that uses training as one of many uh, arrows in our quiver to help facilitate lasting change. And so when we talk about creating a, a conscious, inclusive workplace, you know, you can look at some great data out there. I'm a big uh, nerd with ProSci, which is one of many change management firms. They do a lot of great research. Um, that's my certification. And they always look at what, what are the reasons why change doesn't stick in a workplace. And it seems like every single year, one of the top five reasons is the lack of perceived support by the senior executive team. And, and, and there's the, I emphasize that word perceived because I've had conversations with senior executives. They're like, well, we, we signed the checks. We have you and your team in here, Steve. I'm like, yeah, but are you out championing the change, in this case, being more inclusive? You know, do people see you or is it just like, here's my email statement, signed at the dotted line, but somebody in communications wrote it, we're done. You know, and that's not how you foster lasting change. And so starting with the accountability from all levels within the business, with all levels within the workplace, that's the best place to figure that out. And then, great, how are we going to hold each other accountable? And then what do those numbers look like? Is it are we looking at our recruiting changes? Are we looking at where we're putting our open recreations, our open recs? Is it, yeah, sure, we're sending people to that inclusive leadership class that Top Dog's doing, 
great. Butts and seats, that's just a bitty, bitty start, Kirkpatrick one. But let's look at change of behavior. How are we yeah. looking at the behavior shifting versus the you know tick box of um, you know people just coming through my yeah? And I, I I appreciate that, especially having run a learning function. But that's please don't do that. Um, and and a lot of our clients like we tell them let us do that. And like no, we're good, we're good. And I, I that really gets me frustrated because. We, there's such a huge opportunity in the learning and development profession to really further emphasize what measurement looks like. And, and people often say with me, well, Steve, we can't, we don't have the time or the energy, the resources to get that deep to, to correlative analysis. I'm like, fine, get a dashboard approach and, and look at all the, the pieces of data that end up telling a holistic story. So in uh, um, employee engagement surveys, most big companies do those. There's probably a question, if not there should be, on, you know, I feel a sense of belonging in my workplace. Gee, isn't that an indicator of feeling inclusivity? Absolutely it is. So is that a, a, a direct correlative analysis to say my training class? No. Is it indirect? Absolutely it is. And so you, those typical data points, you collect them and you get a better sense than just saying like, here's my butts and seats or here's the Kirkpatrick three I did and you know, <laughs> doing a little bit bigger than that. And it's an ongoing journey, right? So as you mentioned there, like there's no rush to get this done necessarily. And there's, there's a rush to start the process because if you haven't started already, then you're already, you know, you're behind, right? So let's start this process now. But it's not like there's a deadline to have this done. This is a continual process yeah. of reassessing, you know, what, what our employees are feeling like, whether we're doing things the right way, have we fallen into old traps? Has there been new, new ways of doing things that are proven to be more inclusive, right? So those that are putting deadlines on those things are probably approaching this with the... I would argue with the wrong angle, and if you'd agree. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it is absolutely a journey, not a destination. And I think as we start to really, truly think about creating more inclusive uh, workplaces, I mean, it's it's just little drips on that piece of granite. Um, and and you, know, it, it is little things like, do you put your pronouns in your emails and on your Zoom login and all that stuff? You know, and are, are do people understand why they do that? And and I, I've had so many conversations with people like, what does that mean anyway? I'm like, I'm glad you asked. And and so you know, we go down that path. This is a normalization. You know, pronouns are very important, especially to our trans brothers and sisters. Blah blah blah. So you know, it's it's it, that's one drip on that piece of granite. Is that going to change the rock? No. But you add other drips like, okay, look at the images on our onboarding PowerPoint or, or whatever that is. Are they inclusive? Uh, I was at a client site um, pre-pandemic and you know, we have a one day uh, being a constantly inclusive leadership program we do. And it's meant to be like part of a bigger story within a workplace. And we were doing it at, at this large um, global manufacturing company. So we were at one of their sites. And just before the session, I walked around their lobby and they had these four massive, beautiful black and white pictures of actual employees doing work stuff. And you know, global manufacturing, Nick, what do you think the demographics were of those four individuals in those pictures? Well, do you want me to make a guess at this? Yeah. Take, a, take a guess, take a guess. Well, I can imagine they're probably, well, they're probably the stereotypical white male, uh, Ooh, I've got to be careful on the age side, but probably white male, middle to middle age, probably. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm gender stereotyping. I'm stereotyping now in what I'm trying to do here, but it's yeah. No, you're and you're spot on because you know, and I'll, I'll use the, the the phrase perceived white, three of the four, perceived male, four of the four, um, age varied just a little bit, but typically you know these were people you know mid to senior level in their yeah. career. And so I walked into the room, which was slightly more diverse, but not, um, you know, but, but that's a symbol. That's an artifact in that workplace that's sending a message consciously or unconsciously, this is what the employees look like. And so we had that conversation to start the program off. Like, is that the message, the story you want to share? You know, yeah, that might be the reality now, but is it really the rea reality you want to be? And so it was a fantastic conversation. And they're like, you know, we do have a, a you know, a little bit of diversity in our workplace. We know it's an issue, but we feel like we always put those same individuals in every marketing thing we have. And I'm like, yeah. fine, you know, it, for now that's the reality, but at least you're making a conscious effort to show a bit more inclusivity you know, than that, what's out there. And so it's just thinking through those things a little bit harder. I was kind of hoping that you were setting me up to fail though. And they're going, no, what? Actually, no. The actual Sadly demographic no. was this. <laughs> no, it was dead on what I, yeah, okay, okay. The good news is they have since gone back and redone. So it is a bit more of a, a, a mix of those four images. So And they got you guys in, right? So they, they're addressing it. They're right. trying, to, trying to be better, which is great. Exactly. Now, exactly. something you mentioned again earlier, you've got the guy at the front, you know, you mentioned out there, he shouts out, I know what unconscious bias is, you know, can't change it, it's unconscious. And you have that kind of steadfast approach to you can't change me. 
resilience is such an important factor, both to those that are trying to implement change and trying to handle those that are resilient to change. How can we overcome that? How can we become more resilient in these times at the minute? Any advice you can give to the HR leaders out there that are perhaps trying to overcome some of some of those difficult yeah. members of their of their employee <laughs> workforce and, and they need to stay resilient to make sure this change gets gets through? I, I love that you brought this topic because it is one that, you know, one of the three areas we play around with with Top Dog Learning Group. And, and it's an area, one of the areas I'm super passionate about. When I worked at IBM, I was a change consultant. It's when I first kind of got thrown into this whole concept that humans don't like to, to, to change and adjust for the most part. And so, you know, understanding what that looks like from a resiliency perspective, it, I just like totally immersed myself into everything I could find around the concept of, of, of resiliency. And, um, and really when I look at, I think I read like 20 plus books on all these awesome experts. And you started seeing common threads uh, within, you know, what does it take to be more resilient in times of change? And, and uh, I, I, we have an online class we do it. And I used to do a bunch of face-to-face -face workshops on this. But really, it, you can boil it down to the top three. There's actually a, probably a top five. You can go to the top 10. But if you boil it down to the top three, it's really three, three areas that really help build resiliency with any both individual and workplace. And the first is um, having a positive perspective. And, and so, you know, positive view of the world, glass half full, however you'd like to phrase it. Studies show time and again that if I have a, more of that mentality where even in, um, I know here in the States, there's a children's book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I don't know if it's- okay. Okay. And, and I remember it as a kid and this, this little boy, and he's just having a bad day. And of course, bad day to him is like, you know, I didn't, didn't get jelly on my sandwich and it's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And so he keeps going on his day. And um, so when we have those days as adults, you know, do we take a step back and say, okay, but that was a crappy day, but what was something that went well? And, and that's the type of attitude that truly helps people not just survive, but thrive when change happens. You know, it's, um, you, you know, some days, hey, during a global pandemic, some people like, I got out of bed today. I'm like, you know what? That's, that's your best you can do. Fantastic. That's your day. Other people are like, I started a business. I saved my business. I started a podcast. I wrote a book, whatever. That's awesome. But having that good attitude will take you wonders when change happens. The second area um, we talk about is having a healthy self-concept or self-esteem. And it, it's really realizing that in times of change, especially when we're in that low point, quote unquote, um, you know, we've all been there. We've all been at some point. I, I've yet to meet a person who's just had this even keeled yeah. lifestyle where everything is awesome, you know, Lego movie. <laughs> and, um, you know, so so when you were at that low point, reflect what got you to back up. And, and, and when we can put our finger on that or, or identify those things, then we know in the next time we're low, we're going to bounce back. We'll, we'll figure it out, whether we rely on family, friends, you know, your own uh, self-concept, if you will, but that helps us bounce back in times of change. And the third one, and probably the hardest one, is being okay or, or comfortable with uncertainty. And of course, when you look at change, that's at its root, the problem. <laughs> People don't know what's happening. Lots of ambiguity, lots of question marks. And, and from a, a cognitive perspective as humans, that's unsafe. You know, Maslow's hierarchy yeah. needs and now that makes us feel icky and, and vulnerable and scared. So those individuals that can learn to be okay with that, where they can focus their energy on what they can control or influence versus what typically people typically do is they focus on the things they can control or influence. And they're just like, like hammer their head against the wall. And then what happens? They get defeated. They lose their energy. They didn't do any sort of movement whatsoever that they could have. So, you know, that that's what we, we, we try to focus on. I, I, I love um, this particular quote. I use it all the time. Um, Don't be consumed worrying about the weather. Instead, spend your time learning to dance in the rain. Uh, yeah, and I, I just... I love that. It's unknown. I wish I knew who said it, but it's it's so true because you've literally just picked my. I'm not not even making this up. You've literally just picked my favorite quote. I know it's slightly different, which is uh, life's not about waiting for the storms to pass; it's about waiting to dance in the rain. Very similar. Absolutely, um, love yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's it's great. So I think you know what we can do as a leader is not just look at ourselves because it's pretty darn hard to, to lead a team through change if we're uncomfortable with it as well. Um, so kind of work, do some self-reflection and self-work and then set up the resources and the, the, the systems and the success for those around you so that they can adapt and, and, and not just survive, but thrive during the changing times. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top 
human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Fantastic. Great response. Those three points for those that are really interested in listening to that back. Just rewind, take your notes, grab your pen, go your paper and go through. Something that actually interests me that, that popped into my head, I don't know if it was Savannah Fines, whether it was Bear Grylls or someone similar, but you talked about Often people are, are uncertain, that self-esteem piece, you know, you sh- there's a struggle there and you've got to try and look at the positive side. But actually, sometimes the best things happen when you've gone through a low point to come out the other side. And I don't know who it was that said it, but it's always resonated in my mind where someone said, look, if you were flowing to the top of Everest, and you'd still be a great view. It'd be pretty cool, but you're flowing up there and it'd be a, it'd be a once-in-a-lifetime thing and that's great. Right. But if you've climbed Everest and gone through the pain, the heartache, the cold to get to the top, it's the same view, but it feels completely different and that's always stuck in my mind right if you can go through that hardship you come out the other side wow what a view and what you know i, I like that it's similar to your um no it, it's, it's right. you know and i i reflect on my own experience you know I, as i alluded um you know i got fired from my last corporate job i still to this day i don't know why i was there for two years global head of leadership uh you know large large company walked in one day and, and here in the states each state kind of does their own thing well i live in, in florida and it's what's called a right to work state so as long as um i am not under a protected class which at the time did not include lgbtq um an employer can just say no nick thank you very much but you're fired that, wow. without saying anything else that's completely legal okay. and that's kind of what happened to me to this day i have no idea why but it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me because it led me to france for several months to figure my stuff out to look at l'orange to design my logo and be like hey i got a part-time gig a part-time business already set up let's take it full-time and see what happens and ta-da, 13 years later you know here i am running this lovely business, have some fantastic teammates who work with me, um, lovely client partners. We survive uh, or continue to survive, knock on wood, the pandemic. Um, and I, I, I'd like to think I'm making a little itty bitty tiny ding in the world to be a bit more inclusive. So that probably wouldn't have all happened in this way had it not been being fired at some point. Well, I can tell you've got positivity running through your veins. It comes through in abundance, which is great. I want to talk a little bit as well, because you mentioned there, and I'm going to come back to this at the moment, the, all the things you have done, you forgot to mention that you're also an author of an award-winning book, which I want to talk about a little bit the moment as well before we get there though i'd love to know about your experience and perspective for lgbtq plus leadership something we haven't really discussed yet we talk a lot particularly on this podcast as well about diversity but actually mm-hmm. we're often talking about diversity and in a in a different context we're not always talking specifically about lgbtq plus issues so what's been your experience and perspective now that you have come out that you are quite open as you say the the, the gay leadership dude has that changed the way you've viewed any advice you can give to others that are, that, you know, that, that want to follow in your footsteps, so to speak? You know, I've always been out. Uh, I figured my authentic self out um, actually right when I entered the workforce and, you know, that my, my 23, 24 or so. And, and I kind of, I don't know how, but at an early age that, you know, I'm not going to be in the closet at work. Now, I didn't, you know, jump out and be like, hello, jazz hands, you know, kind of thing like to every employer I went to. But eventually I, I shared my authentic self. And, and that's, and I just had this conversation this week, you know, I said to somebody, well, you know, I, I'm I, for 25 plus years, uh, I, I've been coming out all the time. They're like, what? I thought like in your, in your 24 or whatever. I said, yeah, then, but every new person you meet, unless of course I use the gay leadership dude, then it's a, it's a yeah. non-issue. But, but, you know, I have to make that conscious choice when I'm standing in front of, you know, 30 uh, participants in a workshop or, or 50 on a Zoom or, you know, 2000 in a keynote and, and say, oh, hi, the, I'm Steve, I'm gay. I have a husband of 23 years and blah, blah, blah. You know, like that's a conscious decision I have to make. And, and so, you know, that, that can get exhausting. Um, but I think it's, it, for me, it's super important to do because uh, that not only is it part of my brand, but I think it helps people understand and relate to, to the cornucopia, the difference, the uniqueness that does make up the queer community. You know, we're, we're, we're the same striation as the rest of the, the population, just a little bit smaller subsection. And so um, I, I think the big thing I've learned is from a leadership perspective, that that's a personal decision. To, to, to come out, but I, I usually encourage uh, LGBTQ plus leaders to do it if they have that courage and comfort and safety isn't an issue, obviously, because some situations 
you don't want to do that. It can you know, sure. I, and I, having been to the hospital and <laughs> one of those instances eons back, um, you know, don't take your safety into account just you know, to, to make a stand um, unless that's where you're at and you chip you pick that that hill to fight. But I think um, you know when I take a step back and look at any sort of leadership, whether it be you know, queer leadership, whatever, um, it's just being empathetic. If I have to lead through the, the six that I talked about in pride leadership, you know, they're not in a specific order, but you, you, you can get really far with just having empathy for any of the others that are out there in order to be a better ally for any of those others. Yeah, it's a really good point. I was listening to um, just to take it. Hopefully, this is relevant uh, to Ian, uh, a podcast by Ian Thorpe. You know, the the gold medalist swimmer, Australian swimmer. Yep. And um, obviously, he's he's a, he's a gay athlete. But he he said that actually, had he come out earlier, they may he actually trained in some countries where it's illegal to be gay. You know, the the, the ramifications would have been severe. And yeah. actually, he felt that was a real it's a real shame that you know he should only be measured on his ability to swim. Really? And actually, that held him back from being being openly gay at that point because he wouldn't have been able to train, go to certain training camps, certain countries where he competed, had it been so open. Hopefully, we're moving on now. Hopefully, some of those countries have moved on. You know, it's, it's, it's a shame to hear there are still some yeah. out there that, that haven't. Um, but I think we've mentioned there is really empowering for those that um, that maybe are wrestling with it, but uh, and want to you know want to want to be more open or more authentic, as you put it, in the way that they are in the workplace. And yeah. hopefully, listening to this will uh, help them on that journey. And I, I do share, like you know, from. Um... You know, and I, I actually write about this in my book, Pride Leadership. You know, I completely respect why people are not out. There's a, so many different reasons that and that's that's their perspective. But I would also challenge and say that for every pronoun you're managing, you know, in the workplace because you don't want people to know it's you know, same sex or whatever, you know, that's energy you're not using to perform better, to be a better leader. And, and so I challenge each leader to say, you know, what's the trade-off on, on keeping that authenticity kind of in, in, in this, the shadows? And why not bring it out to light? Um, because it's not just going to be good for those around you, but it's going to be better for you too. For sure. For sure. And that's what you talked about your book there. You talked about it a little bit throughout this podcast. I'd love to just talk about it a little bit more before we finish, if we can, because it's called Pride Leadership. It's strategies for the LGBTQ plus leader to be the king or queen of their jungle. Um, we obviously touched upon it during the course of this podcast, but tell me a little bit more about, about the book, what people can find out if they were to go and purchase the book or, or you know, who's it for. And, and yeah, give us, give yeah. us a synopsis. It was de- it was designed, you know, as as I shared the story, you know, I was going to go down the path of a like generic leadership book, and then I decided to put it through the rainbow lens. But what I found is is it it really is a broad perspective, and and I I, I sensed that from the very first editor, I well the only editor I had, Heather, um, you know, she was the first person in the universe beside myself to read it. And so I remember being in a coffee shop waiting for the call from her and uh, here in Orlando, Florida, and and I was nervous as anything. Must say, like, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And uh, so she calls me and and I said, she's like, okay, Steve, let's talk, you know, the initial feedback from your book. I'm like, eh. and she's like, I have to warn you, I am not your target audience. I'm a white cisgendered straight woman. I'm like, okay. She's like, this is the book I wanted for my MBA program. I'm like, and she's like, it's, it's, I mean, it's solidly research because I'm a nerd. I mean, hello, doctorate. But, um, but it, it's super cheeky dad jokes on purpose because one, you could probably guess that's kind of my personality. But two, you know, why be a boring leadership book? Why not be a fun one that talks about like, you know, storytelling is an effective way to communicate as a leader, but using the phrase like storytelling, like Tori Spelling, just because it sounds fun or like little cheeky fun things like that. Um, I, I just, it just made it, I thought it was fun to write. It make, hopefully makes it more enjoyable, but more memorable. And, and so I, I think that's kind of like the big takeaway that I've realized unintentionally is that, um, you know, and shame on me for not thinking it through, um, that uh, my awesome allies uh, totally get it. Matter of fact, you know, I've since created a, an eight-week online training program that goes with the book, and it's 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 a 50-50 split. It's, you know, queer, queer leaders and awesome allies who are just like, I like the book. I love the concepts. You know, you're talking about six leadership competencies that help me be a consciously inclusive leader that everybody can look at. So it's it's been a really, really fun journey. It's been really well-received, and um, I just love seeing the, the impact it's having on people uh, in a positive way. Fab, 
fantastic. I know that in previous podcasts as well we've had, like this is a something that all of us, and sometimes so I've done uh, some other podcasts on diversity, and I sometimes feel it's difficult for me as a white, you know, white <laughs> male already. I'm in a privileged position. I can't understand some of the pain, some of the difficulties that the, 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 the people from other cultures and 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 races and, and and genders may be feeling because I only know it from my position. But I know yeah. that if we're all championing and we're all moving together, we can make a difference. And actually, this book is a great example. You talk about it as awesome allies, which I love, right? We, we can all, and I know the HR professionals that are listening to this are already on board. So I'm speak, speaking to those already converted, hopefully. But it's collectively, isn't it? We can make the change. It's not just well, relying on the LGBTQ plus community to come. Oh, in. absolutely agree. And, you know, one thing, if I can take like a few moments, Nick, because one of the things that, that I often have, and this is actually part of the book, but it's, I do it every leadership workshop I talk about when we're looking at inclusive leaders is, is defining what diversity means. And, and yeah. so I think so many people go to um, what's called the inter internal dimensions, which I'll give in a minute, but um, these two women who I, I happen to now know, um, uh, Garden Schwartz and Rowe, Lee, Lee, Lee Garden Schwartz and Anita Rowe have been in diversity and inclusion space for, for forever. And they're just such brilliant, awesome women. And they said, let's define this differently. So they created what's called the five layers of diversity. And, and for my HR friends who are listening, you, you may or may not know this model, but it's one of many. Um, but the idea here is, is that we are made up of all five layers. And, and so at the core of every single human who's listening, every single human on the planet is our personality. And that will always make us unique, shiny unicorns. There will never be another Nick. There'll never be another Steve. At its core, our personality. But then the next layer out is what they call the internal dimensions. And this is where I see a lot of companies, a lot of organizations, they just go here. They say, you know, oh, and these internal dimensions are things like, um, you know, race, ethnicity, gender, gender identification, sexual orientation, physical ability. Um, and for the most part, these don't change um, the course of your life. But when I go to a client and, you know, initial conversation, like, would you consider yourselves diverse? Like, of course we are. We have blank month. I'm like, okay, yeah. it's a good start. You know, that they're going here. Then the next layer out is external dimensions. And it, it's really those things that, um, still contribute to our uniqueness in the world, but maybe things that change quite frequently. Uh, things like our geographic location, our income, our personal habits, appearance, um, you know, par parental status, marital status, dog owner status. You know, these are all, um, all things that help us look at the world uniquely and they contribute to that diverse kind of perspective. Then the next layer out is organizational dimensions. And there are things that are obviously in the context of the group that you're with. So it's things like in the work context, you know, it's your, your content field, your function, the division, your seniority, if you're a union. Um, I use the term legacy status with mergers and acquisitions. You know, you have the, kind of that, that residual yeah. from the past company. But these are all different ways that you look at the world. You know, I'm a salesperson. I look at things differently than, you know, for, for, for my sales function versus our marketing function or whatever that looks like. And then the last layer they, they added, actually not too long ago, was country of operation. And so it's the idea that, you know, wherever you're, you're operating out of does have influence on how you look at the world. Things like political systems, values, business etiquette, language, laws, you know, these are all shaping the culture. And so I like to use this definition because it's broader than just that internal dimensions because yeah. you know you you brought up a great point Nick like, like you know you're you're a white dude yeah but you also bring different diversity perspectives to the table by being a parent or a, you know being a canine parent or you know insert whatever here and I, I often tell clients that you know you you can obviously internal dimensions we want to absolutely make sure that we're including that mix of people um but don't discount the other differing perspectives that any person brings to that table you know look beyond what's on the surface and what's internal and really start to explore some of those other different perspectives on how we view the world yeah i love that i love that um, I'm, I'm a big football fan it made me think about us saying that uh, my um a friend of mine always said to me years ago now because he doesn't play football anymore but he said you know david beckham's a great player but 11 david beckham's doesn't win you a football match or doesn't win you a world cup like you need that diversity in your team everyone's got different specialisms different different areas of expertise that they can add and i think it's been proven in all the studies that i've read certainly uh, maybe i'm choosing my studies i don't know but diversity of thought has a huge impact on bottom line profit, success and growth, right? So if we can bring in that diversity of thought from wherever the, you know, that the individuals involved in that board come from, it doesn't matter. It's that diversity of thought that makes things change as opposed to everyone thinking the same way and flatlining, which I think you mentioned earlier in that, in that sort of yep. process, which is uh, which is great. Listen, Dr. Steve Iacobelli, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the HR podcast today. I'm going to open the L&D vault. So three short, sharp questions for you, if I may. In hindsight, what is the one thing you now know that you wish you had known when you began your career? 
what a big impact that technology would have on the corporate learning perspective. You know, my doctorate's in instructional technology and distance education, which is very prophetic, but I wish I knew that way before I even went down this path because, um, you know, leveraging technology for teaching and learning within the workplace obviously is huge. I didn't realize how huge it would be back in, you know, 1990-whatever when I first started out. Fabulous. Fantastic. If you could give one piece of advice to the world to help everyone become a little bit more inclusive, what would it be? Listen twice as much as you talk. Um, nice. And, and, you know, and there's, a, there's a, lots of quotes that go around like, you have two ears and one mouth for reason and blah, blah, blah. But just listen. And it's not just listen to, you know, as, to paraphrase Stephen Covey, uh, you know, listen to respond versus listen to understand. Listen to understand. And ask those open-ended questions. Truly active listen versus just wait for your turn to speak. I love the, uh, the quote that every great conversation starts with great listening. Mm, I like that. I like that. Now, last one, if you had the opportunity, what advice would you give a younger you just starting out in the world of work? Uh, aside from wear sunscreen, um, <laughs> I think that's always good, good advice. Um, I, I think it's find a mentor as early as you can. And, and, and really, uh, you know, even better, a mentor who doesn't, you know, five layers of diversity, match up with a lot of those for you because you're you're just going to not only start to explore the profession in a different way but then you're also going to explore humanity in a different way so find a mentor but find a mentor who doesn't necessarily demographically look like you great love that advice i have to say it's some it's a piece of advice we get a lot from the the guests i've had on this show and a lot of them argue that nearly everyone have on this show if not everybody is a guru in this field right the leadership and, and the leaders and, and the you know, tedx speakers and people like yourself you know award-winning authors. And it's, it's a common theme of advice. Um, I took it on board myself and uh, got my first mentor after 18 years in this. And it's been, it's been working. It's actually a previous guest. I won't disclose the name oh, nice. of the minute, but it's someone on the podcast show now mentors me and it's been brilliant. So uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll totally agree with that. So absolutely fantastic having you on the show. Where can people find out more about you if they want to go? Obviously, any links we mentioned now will be in the episode notes. If you're listening to this, please jump through and you can click straight through. But tell us a little more. We can find out more about, about what you do, who you are, and uh, you know, if you want to find out more. Yeah, the easiest place to go is uh, uh, topdoglearning.biz, B-I-Z. You can see about me, about my team. Um, there's links to the books. You can even shortchange the books and wherever you're listening from. If you go to steveonamazon.com, it'll redirect you to the Amazon of your choice, uh, whatever you know, the last letters for your country will be, um, where you can find Pride Leadership. And But our, our website, topdoglearning.biz, has lots of free stuff, um, lots of blog posts, articles. Um, there's free training on um, how to beat sound occlusion is one of the many things out there. So topdogglearning.biz. Fantastic. I have to say, folks, definitely worth looking out. You can access courses on there as well. He mentioned loads and loads of resources, the books. And what I'll do is I'll put several links rather than just one, because I think people can be directed straight through to your courses then, straight through to the books themselves. And obviously the book that we've talked about today, Pride Leadership, Strategies for the LGBTQ Plus Leader to Become the King or Queen of their jungle. Of course, if you're an HRND uh, leader listening to this podcast and you need support with an HR or LND related vacancy, well, that's where I come in. We're a specialist HR recruiter. Would love to know more about how we can support your business. Give myself a call on 01727800377 or check out our website, www.jgarecruitment.com. Just leaves me to say a huge thank you, Dr. Steve Iacovelli, for joining me today on the HR LD podcast. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dick. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.